Good morning. Our scripture lesson today is from Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. Once, when when he was in one of the cities, there was a man covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. Then Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him, and said, I do choose. Be made clean. Immediately their leprosy left him, and he ordered him to tell no one. Go, he said, and show yourself to the priest, and as Moses commanded, make an offering for your cleansing, for a testimony to them. But now more than ever, the word about Jesus spread abroad. Many crowds would gather to hear him and be cured of their diseases. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Heather, for scripture reading this morning. And um, how about that worship band today? Awesome. <laughs> we are so blessed with um, such talent in this church, and thank all those who are willing to share of that. We've truly been blessed today. So appreciate you doing that. As we um, prepare for this moment, I'm going to invite you to join me in a time of prayer as we prepare our spirits hear God's word. Let's do that together. God, we just pause in this moment of togetherness and thank you for the, the abilities and the, the words and the music that's been shared that have just drawn us into your presence and made us keenly aware that you are here among us. Thank you, God, for those blessings. And now we ask for you to help us by the power of your spirit to understand what you want to say to us today through your word. Open our minds, our hearts, our very lives to being shaped and impacted and made new into your likeness through the power of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in the season of Lent, as you know, getting ready for Easter. It's that 40-day journey. And throughout the season of Lent, we are reading the Gospel of Luke together. In fact, um, we're encouraging you to actually read the Gospel of Luke. If you use your study guide that I give to you each week in your bulletin, by the time you get through Easter, you will have read the entire Gospel of Luke. How awesome would that be? So I hope that you'll commit yourself to doing that. And uh, as we go through the Gospel of Luke, we're calling this series of sermons the Gospel of the Nobodies. Because when you read Luke's Gospel, what you see is a picture of Jesus' heart. <clears throat> and more so than any of the other Gospels, Uh, What you're going to find in Luke's gospel is how he points out Jesus' heart, his concern for the nobodies, the marginalized, the outcasts of society, those who um, are feeling as though they're invisible, unloved, unworthy, those on the fringes of society that are looking in. That's who Luke points out to us. In Luke's gospel, we see that these are the kind of people that Jesus eats with. These are the people that he hangs out with. Uh, These are the kind of people that travel with him, that um, flock around him whenever he goes into a city. No matter where Jesus goes, he's always seeking out these marginalized people like tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners and the the outcasts of society, the nobodies. And as you're reading Luke's gospel, you also have to always keep in mind his purpose. The purpose of Luke's gospel is to show us who God is, what God is like. And what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you're a disciple of Jesus, it means you're trying to follow in the way of Jesus. You're trying to live like him, be like him in this world today. And in every story, Luke is trying to help you to understand what that actually means. Well, last Sunday we began with the beginning of Luke's gospel. We're starting from the beginning, going through. And in the beginning is, of course, the Christmas story. We looked at the Christmas story last week. We look at all that cast of characters that are part of the Christmas story. 
And um, we began by looking at how God called Mary and Joseph, uh, or called Mary, <clears throat> but uh, Mary particularly, you know, she's, she's just this nobody from the village of Nazareth, obscure little village. And he calls her to one of the most important jobs that any human being's ever been called to on this earth, and that is to be the mother of his son, Jesus. And then we looked at how this birth of Jesus actually occurred. It didn't occur in the way that we would expect a royalty to come to life. Um, we find in this story how Mary and Joseph are having to go to Bethlehem because of a census, and she's in the last stages of her pregnancy. And when they get there, they're not surrounded by doctors and nurses like we would expect a birth to happen. They don't get to go to one of these nice, luxurious uh, birthing rooms or hospitals. Uh, we read how there is no room for them when they get to Bethlehem. There's no room in Joseph's parents' house. And so they have to go downstairs to the basement, uh, which is a cave that's underneath the home, where they bring in their animals for the night to protect them and shelter them. And so uh, instead of having all these comforts and luxuries that you'd expect for the birth of God's son, they're surrounded by dirt and by the stench of animals and by a stone feeding trough to lay their baby in. And then the first people who are, get to come to show up to see this baby is a lowly group of shepherds, <clears throat> the night shift shepherds. Um, these are the, a group of nobodies that God has personally invited to come and to see and to hold his son. And so from the very beginning of this story, we, um, we see how Jesus is surrounded by, he's, he's um, uh, just... Everybody that's around him in these stories is a group of these characters known as, as nobodies. They are, he's filled with um, these encounters with these kind of people. And you, you start from the very beginning of the, the, the story getting this picture of God's heart for the nobodies. These characters that God uses, these unexpected, very unlikely people that God uses to, to um, bring about his, his will in this world, to bring about life, to show us glimpses in the kingdom of God. You see this demonstrated almost every page of Luke's Gospel. And so we're going to pick up with where we uh, left off last week. And as you get past the birth narrative, <clears throat> you go to the next character who encounters the baby Jesus is actually a man named Simeon. Simeon is well advanced in his age. His best days are um, behind him, they would say. Uh, he's just an old man that nobody pays any attention to. I mean, he kind of spent his whole life wandering around, hoping, waiting for the promise of God about the Messiah to come true. In fact, most people kind of considered him to be a little off. He was so obsessed with this idea. But when, when Simeon enters into the temple and he lays his eyes on the baby Jesus, he breaks out in song. <laughs> He begins to sing uh, about what this child is, who he is, and he begins to sing about the consolation of Israel. And so the first person, the next person that we see encountering Jesus after his birth, the person who's able to see who Jesus really is, is this very unlikely, unexpected, older man who was really a nobody. Nobody paid him any attention. And the story continues. The next person that encounters Jesus is um, a woman prophetess uh, named Anna. Uh, she's been, we learn in the scriptures, that uh, she has spent most of her life, eight decades, grieving the loss of her husband. So she's a widow, and she spent most of her life grieving and fasting and praying that God would deliver her and give her a life of, of hope instead of a life of despair. 
And when she lays her eyes on the baby Jesus, her whole world changes. And uh, she's, she's just filled with a sense of wonder. Her eyes are open to God's deliverance and God's hope. And she too breaks out in song. It kind of seems what you do when you see Jesus. You break out in song and she begins to, to prophesy about God's glory. So again, the next person who we see encountering Jesus and seeing who Jesus really is, is another one of these nobodies. You're unexpected, just this widow. And as you read about Jesus' life through Luke's gospel, you're going to see this over and over and over again, how he's surrounded by, he's followed by these characters who are considered to be the unexpected, the unlikely, the nobodies of society. It's actually takes us four chapters before you get to something that you would expect in this story. I mean, this is God's son who's brought into the world. Four chapters. By this time, he has been baptized. He has grown in stature and character. He has now been, he's gone through the temptations. And after he comes out of the wilderness from being tempted, we finally get to this point where he does something that we go, ah, okay, that's what we've been looking for. We've been waiting for something like this to happen. Jesus decides that um, he's going to go to not a group of nobodies, but a group of somebodies. He's going to go to his hometown of Nazareth. Uh, this is where his family is, where his friends are. These are the people who shaped him and made him. He, he knows all these people, and he, but yet he goes to this specific place. He goes back to his home church to be with his family of faith. And when he gets there, they invite him to preach. They go, ah, okay, now, now we're getting to the part where uh, what we expect to happen here, uh, God's son, he's, he's going to get to preach. And, uh, you know, this is often what happens when the hometown boy who's made it big comes back home. You know, you get the place of honor, and you get him, you know, we're going to get you to speak for us because we want to celebrate one of our own here. And when Jesus begins to, to preach, uh, he begins to tell them about how God is calling him to bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted, how God is calling him to give sight to those who are blind, to set the captives free. He begins to tell him about all the things that God is calling him to do to change the world. And he's speaking in this place that everybody knows him. And you'd think that they would, uh, he'd be well received here. I mean, this is home. This is his family, his friends. He doesn't have to pretend to be something he's not. He can just relax, be himself here. And you'd think that this crowd would enthusiastically support and be proud of their hometown boy. But that's not what happens. The more Jesus begins to speak, they are filled with questions. And as he goes on, they become filled with rage. And we read about this in Luke. He says, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up. They drove him out of the town. They led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. What's going on here? I mean, this is not what we expect at all. This, he, he's at his hometown. This is his family, his friends. We, we expect something very different here. I mean, here he is a, as a somebody uh, coming to town. Uh, he, he's sharing with them the amazing things that God is calling him to do. But the only thing that they're filled with is questions. Questions, John. Who does he think he is? Isn't this Mary and Joseph's boy? Isn't this a carpenter's son? He's acting like he's a somebody. He's just a nobody. And when they begin to direct, to direct the word of God to them, and when Jesus directs the word of God to them, uh, they become pretty angry. In fact, it gets to the point where they want to cast him out of town. They want to run him out of town. They actually want to hurl him off the cliff and kill him. 
what's wrong with these people in Nazareth, these somebodies? Why can't they see who Jesus is like Mary and Joseph are able to see? Why can't they see Jesus like the night shift shepherds were able to see him there? Or like Simeon or like Anna? Why can't they see who Jesus really is like the rest of those nobodies he encounters is able to? There seems to be a problem with the way that these people in Nazareth see things. How are you seeing things these days? You know, one of the things I've come to learn about this walk of Christian discipleship and trying to follow Jesus is that it's all intrinsically linked to the way that we see things. The way that we see things shapes how we feel. It shapes the way we think. It shapes the way we act. I mean, the way that we see shapes what we do. So when it comes to following Jesus and trying to be like him in this world, to do the things he did, how we see things makes all the difference in the world. On the screen, you're going to see a statue here. The statue um, is actually on a park bench outside of St. Albans Episcopal Church in Davidson, North Carolina. And uh, it caused quite a ruckus when they first put it up in their affluent neighborhood. Uh, it's a bronze statue of a homeless man that's laying on a park bench. And the only thing that would make, only reason you'd have to think that this is Jesus is because if you'll notice his feet are sticking out of the blanket and they're pierced. It's interesting how differently people see this statue, what the response to it is. Uh, when it was first put up, the police department said they received several calls complaining about a homeless man that was sleeping on a bench in their community. Uh, there was uh, one, uh, some complained about it, you know, it would be an eyesore. There was somebody actually put a note on it saying that uh, this isn't the way to remember Jesus. What I found really interesting was when another person commented on social media saying, my complaint is not about the artworthiness or the meaning behind the sculpture. It's about people driving into our beautiful, reasonably upscale neighborhood and seeing an ugly homeless person laying on a bench in the park. A number of people in this community just saw this as an eyesore. They saw it as being poor taste. Not only is it the depiction of Jesus, but how it communicated or gave the perception that they actually had people like this living in their neighborhood. Poor people, homeless people. Interesting. They, they found this to be repulsive. <laughs> Some people found this to be an embarrassment, an insult. Worthy of expulsion from their neighborhood. Something to get rid of, to get, get out of sight, to silence. And yet others looked at this uh, statue and they were drawn to it. They were moved by it to acts of compassion and self-awareness and reflection. Some said they looked at this statue and they found themselves reminded of Jesus' words to his disciples in Matthew 25. As you've done it to the least of these, you do it unto me. Because I came for the nobodies of this world. What do you see when you look at this statue? Do you see a somebody? Do you see a nobody? Are you repulsed by it? Are you moved in some way? Compassion? Hope? Possibilities? What do you see? I'd ask you another question. What if this wasn't just a statue? What if it was somebody, a real, real person? 
What would you feel or how would you react to that? How would that make you feel? And how might what you see affect the way that you live? Whether you respond? See, how we see things impacts our faith. It impacts the way we see the world or see others. How we see changes who we are. But these people in Nazareth, they had a hard time seeing Jesus as nothing but a nobody. And he's just the son of a carpenter family. Uh, he's a nobody. They couldn't see him as somebody, somebody who was being called by God to do something extraordinary in this world. And so they just wanted to run him out of town. They wanted to expel him from their community. They wanted to silence him, get rid of him. How are you seeing things these days? They just saw nobody trying to be somebody. When you travel down the streets here in Zachary or going to Baton Rouge to and from work or to and from school, what do you see? Thinking about this reminded me of those words of that beloved hymn that most of us know, Open My Eyes That I May See. It's written by Clara Scott back in 1895, shortly before her death. You remember those words. Open my eyes that I may see glimpses of truth thou hast for me. Place in my hand the wonderful key that shall unclasp and set me free. Silently now, I wait for thee. Ready, my God, thy will to see. Open my eyes, illumine me, Spirit divine. I believe that God is calling us to live with eyes that yearn to see those glimpses of truth that God has for us to see. I believe that God is calling us to live with eyes that are able to see the world and everything in it as God sees it. Our eyes are meant to see glimpses of hope and life and possibilities, not looking at everything that's wrong with the world and everything that's wrong with other people. We are called to have eyes that see hope instead of despair, life instead of death, beauty instead of ashes, so that we're able to see somebodies around us instead of just nobodies. How do you see things? This is how we are meant to live, to see things as Jesus sees things. That's what it meant to be following him. But the people of Nazareth, they couldn't do that. I mean, they just couldn't see it. All they saw was this somebody. Uh, you know, he was thinking he was somebody. They just saw him as a nobody. And so um, they couldn't get past that. So they, they run him out of town. They try to actually cast him off a cliff to kill him. But somehow he manages to escape. And he goes on. He moves on from there. He goes on throughout different communities. And uh, he continued to try to show us the way and the truth and the life. And every person that he met, he, he, we read about how he, what he's trying to show us what it means to live with eyes that are able to see the possibilities of God around us. In Luke chapter 5, we read about how he goes into a city and there he encounters a man who is a leper. Now, if ever there's a nobody, this is a nobody. And this is the worst kind of nobody. I mean, lepers were feared, uh, being contagious, and they were, they were despised. They were cast literally out of their communities. If you were suspected of being a leper, then uh, you had to go before the priest, and the priest examined you, and if he found you to have leprosy, you were literally cast out. You were to live a life of isolation. 
Uh, we read about the life of a leper in Leviticus 13, where it says, The person who has a leprous disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head be disheveled. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He shall live alone, and his dwelling place shall be outside the city. So these people were literally cast out of their community. They were isolated, separated from their family, their friends. And they had to further suffer the demeaning uh, act of anytime anybody came near them, they had to cover their lips. Say, unclean, stay away. Don't, don't come near, I'm unclean. Can you imagine living like that? They were truly the nobodies, if there ever was a nobody. And when Jesus sees this man who has leprosy, he could have responded just like everybody else, just saw him as a nobody. Or he could see God's possibilities. What does he do? We read in chapter 5 of Luke these words. Once when he was in one of the cities, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he bowed down with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him. And he said, I do choose. Be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him. Now, what's interesting in this story is that there are two people who have eyes to see. First of all, you have the leper who sees something in Jesus that nobody else seems to be able to see. You're living in a day where only the priest had the power to pronounce you clean, to release you from this condition but this man sees something in Jesus that calls him to go against every religious and social protocol. Uh, he, he sees something in Jesus that calls him to actually breach the city walls, to enter into the city and approach Jesus. Instead of crying out, Jesus, stay away, I'm unclean, I'm not worthy, stay away, he approaches Jesus. And we get to see not only this man's desperation, we get to see his faith. Because what he sees moves him to courage. It moves him to boldness. He runs to Jesus. He falls down before Jesus, laying before him everything he is. He's totally vulnerable. He lays everything he is before one who knows all there is. And you hear him say, if you choose, you can make me clean. He didn't say, I hope you can make me clean. Or could you make me clean? You see, this man is convicted that Jesus has that power to heal him, to make him whole. He believes that Jesus can, can, can deliver him and set him free from this. He has eyes to see. And Jesus, he looks down at this leper. And instead of seeing him just as a nobody, he sees a somebody. And so he reaches out and he touches him. And he says, I do choose. Be made clean. And immediately he was healed. Immediately he was restored. Uh, he was made clean to go back as a somebody among his family and his friends and his city. Does this story speak to you in any way? Do you find yourself in any way identifying with this leper who yearns to be healed, to be set free? Well, actually, this story is meant 
to say to us that we are to be like this leper. Uh, that like this leper, we are meant to bring before Jesus all that we have, all that we're struggling with, whatever it is that's uh, binding us or shackling us in life, and to be willing to lay those things down at the feet of Jesus, believing. You see, that, that's what you have to notice. The reason that this leper was able to come to Jesus and he, he crossed that, uh, that taboo of things was because he believed. He had eyes to see. He, he was convicted that Jesus had the power to heal him, that, to make him right, to, to heal whatever was going on in his life, to give him a new life and set him free. And this story says to us that Jesus has that same power, even today. He has that power because he can make us well. In this story, you see how uh, he looks at you and he looks at me and he looks at everybody else that thinks there's a nobody. He says, you're not a nobody to me. To me, you're somebody worthy of my grace. But you have to see it. You have to be convicted of it. You have to believe it. You have to see that Jesus has this power. What do you see? Well, throughout Luke's gospel, we read how Jesus has this power to heal people. And people flock to him. Every city he goes into, you get this reputation. People are coming to him to heal. But what you need to recognize is that often when Jesus healed people, it wasn't just a physical healing. Uh, the word that's used here in Greek uh, for this, what describe what Jesus does for this leper and for others is the Greek word katharizo, uh, which can mean to heal people physically. But it can also mean forgiveness. This is the same word that's used when people are released from their sins, forgiven of their sins, where they're set free from those, that guilt, that shame, that uh, whatever it is that is binding them in life or enslaving them or keeping them from having a life that God wants them to have. So just as much as Jesus healed people physically, Jesus also had the power to heal people spiritually, to forgive them, to cleanse their life and give them a new life to a new beginning. And this leper sees all of this. This is why he is able to and willing to run and, at Jesus, and lay before Jesus' feet and say, Jesus, you can heal me. I know you can. He laid it all before Jesus. All his fears, all his pain, all his guilt, all his, his suffering. He laid it before Jesus, believing. He had eyes to see that Jesus could make everything right. And Jesus does not disappoint him. He sees him as a somebody. He reaches out, he touches him, he cleans him, he enables him to be restored, to go back and to live a new life. A life more like Jesus. See, that's the point. The truth is, this story is really a glimpse of the, the greater gospel story. Because in this story, we see how when the leper turned to him, Jesus was willing to, to reach out and to, to touch him and to, to heal him. Just like us, when we turn to him, Jesus reaches out to us. He touches us where we need to be touched. He heals our brokenness. On the cross, Jesus takes all of our sin and our guilt and our shame and our pain in life. He takes all of that upon himself. He dies for our sins so that we might have a new life, cleanse and a new life in him. This is what you're going to see throughout Luke's gospel. It's this picture of how Jesus is continually seeking out these marginalized, these outcasts, these broken people, the nobodies. He loves them. He touches them. He forgives them. He restores them. 
It's a wonderful story. But this story can become our story. The catch is, in order for it to become our story, we have to see it. We have to become convicted of this. We have to believe it. You have to be willing to trust that Jesus has the power to heal whatever is going on in your life. You have to be willing to fall at his feet and to give it all to him. So I ask you, when's the last time that you've been willing to do that? When's the last time you brought all your stuff to Jesus? When's the last time you've been willing to lay at the feet of Jesus all those things that are enslaving you or keeping you from living the life that God wants you to live? When's the last time you confessed that and you offered that to Jesus? The people in Nazareth, they couldn't see it. They saw just a nobody trying to be a somebody. It's just a carpenter's son. He's nobody special. But in the rest of Luke's gospel, you see how these nobodies, they see something in Jesus that causes them to turn to him. They see something in Jesus that causes them to lay before him all that they are. They entrust him with their life. They saw Jesus as somebody who could change their life. They saw in Jesus uh, the way that he could change the world they live in and change their way of seeing the world and being with others. They saw something in Jesus that caused them to trust him as their Lord and Savior. Again, the question for us is, how do you see things? What do you see? My hope is that through this season of Lent, we will have eyes to be able to see those glimpses of truth that God has for us to see. I hope that God will give us those eyes to see what God can do, the possibility that what God can do when we entrust our lives and the lives of others to him. And we bring it all at the feet of Jesus. It's going to be my prayer with you this morning. Let's pray together. Oh God, our prayer today is give us eyes, eyes to see, to see who you really are and to see this world around us as you do. God, help us to turn to you, to place at your feet all of our worries, all of our concerns, all of our sins, so that you just might touch us and heal us, forgive us, and make us clean. Help us to be our story, God. We offer to you our diagnosis, our health issues that we're facing. We, we offer you all those things that are troubling us. Help us to trust in your love for us. Help us to trust in your power to set us free. I ask that you would send us forth from this place with eyes to see your infinite possibilities all around us. To see that nobody is a somebody. To see hope when there is only despair. So that we can be a part of transforming this world with you. This is our prayer, O oh God. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus.